Good morning. morning. If you'd like to turn to John chapter 15 in your Bibles. Next Sunday, Lord willing, Carrie and I will be in Florida. Um, I actually have a gentleman who's preached here before named Gary Rosebaum from um, the Rural Home Ministry Association who's going to be preaching. And uh, he's preached here, like I said, a couple times before. And uh, I'm sorry that I won't be here to hear him preach, but I know he's going to do a great job. And um, but yeah, please just keep Carrie and I in your prayers as we go on vacation just to have a, a few days with family and to, uh, I was going to say enjoy warm weather, it was about a million degrees last week, but to enjoy the beach, um, but we will miss you guys next week. Um, John 15 is where we'll be, bulletin says verses 1 through 11, I actually decided to cut that off at verse 5, as happens sometimes, I start to realize that the sermon is going to be about 90 minutes if I don't cut it off sooner, um, and it's a, it's a great passage though. Excited to be in John chapter 15 this morning. Um, And I'll read that passage now, verses 1 through 5. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Would you pray with me? Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to, keep, to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning to worship you and to again celebrate your goodness and greatness. Lord, we pray for our time today. We thank you for this beautiful Sunday morning and this opportunity to be together in fellowship. Lord, we pray for the time in your word that you would Bless this message, Lord, as always, that it would point us to you, that we would be pointed to truth and to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, we continue to lift up people who need our prayers, and we thank you that you are a God who answers prayers. We continue to pray for this child crew, the DECA, and continue just to pray for a a full recovery, Lord. We've seen you do such things before, and we pray for that for him. Lord, continue just to pray for his treatment, for the staff who are taking care of him. Lord, we pray for his parents through the unimaginable time that they're going through. Lord, we pray for your nearness to them, and again, we pray for a a full recovery for him. Lord, again, we pray for our time as we study in your word, and that every time we come to your word, that it would be with an open heart and an open mind. Lord, that we would expect to learn and to grow and to be challenged by your word and pointed to you. In Jesus' name, amen.
We have a dog. We love our dog. We've, Carrie and I have never done anything that was not in the ultimate best interest of our dog. We want our dog to be taken care of. We want Beasley, our dog, to have a great life. We give our dog many things that are really above and beyond what's necessary for her to survive because we love her. And in spite of all the things that we do for our dog, whom we love, there are many times where she doesn't really trust us. I took her to the vet last week just to get a routine annual shot. When it's time to get on the table, she goes into dead weight mode. She only weighs about 15 pounds, but when she wants to, she can have the density of a cinder block. <laughs> when it's time to get her to take medicine, it's a battle, even though it's for her good. One time, Carrie accidentally dropped a Claritin on the, on the floor in the kitchen. Beasley immediately ate that. I've tried to fake her out before, the dog, not Carrie. I've tried to fake the dog out before by accidentally dropping one of her pills on the ground and acting like I didn't want her to get it to see if she would take it anyway. That didn't work. It can be a challenge. In the evenings, she is always at a heightened sense of alertness and readiness that she just might be getting a bath. She immediately hides under the bed as soon as she hears the shower turn on. And when it comes to trimming her nails, I'll be honest, she's won that war. We gave up. The vet appointments, the pills, the baths, none of them are very pleasant for her, but all of those things are for her good. Because everything we do is for her good because we love our dog. And she loves us. But sometimes she can struggle to see the big picture of the things that we're doing for her and how they're really for her and for her ultimate good. And as people with God, sometimes we're not all that different. This morning's passage is a great passage because it reminds us that we have a good God and that we have a good Savior who is full of vibrance and life and who wants us to share in that with him. Our world oftentimes has the wrong images of Jesus and of God. It's not just some strict, stern, anti-fun, anti-enjoying things angry God, but that we have a personal Savior and a loving God who points to truth, true life, goodness, and the way to live. This is a wonderful passage this morning in John 15 where Jesus makes an interesting analogy of his purpose and ministry in comparing himself to a vine, referring to grapevines, which were an important agricultural staple in that society, in the Mediterranean world, especially for wine production. And so in this passage this morning, we're going to focus on three main things as we look at the first five verses of John chapter 15. First point being a branch on the vine. Verses 1 and 2. There we go. Verses 1 and 2. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. 
The first thing to note in this passage are the first two words, I am. We've talked about this before, but throughout John's gospel, we've seen Jesus make these I am statements. And the significance of those two words, I am, is that they're the same words that the Lord God uses in Exodus 3.14 to refer to his own divine name when speaking to Moses. I am. And in John's gospel, we see seven I am statements from the Lord Jesus. These statements point us to his divinity, and they also point us to his purpose, his ministry, and his mission in the world. Jesus has said, I am the bread of life. Jesus provides nourishment for the human soul. Jesus has said, I am the light of the world. Jesus shines the moral goodness and glory of God into a world that is darkened by sin. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. It is Jesus who leads and protects his flock. Jesus says, I am the gate. He is the entry point to God, and he is the one who protects us, protects his people. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus provides our hope for eternal life. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That he provides the way to eternal life. And here we come to the final one of his I am statements. I am the true vine. And it's fitting that this is the last of these statements. And it's fitting that Jesus says this on the eve of going to the cross. And saying that he is the true vine, he's pointing to himself as the one who sustains his people. Jesus is the vine. God is the Father. God the Father is the vine dresser or the gardener. Christians are attached to the vine and bear fruit, which refers to the good works and the spiritual growth, which is the result of one's relationship to Christ. That a vine cannot blossom and produce fruit apart from the vine that we're attached to. That a branch cannot bear fruit apart from the vine. A vine branch cannot survive off the vine. Neither can a Christian survive apart from Christ. And Jesus in these first couple of verses talks of two different branches. There are the branches which do not bear fruit and the branches which do bear fruit. This is a reference to two different types of people within the church. People who believe in the gospel and those who do not. The fruitless branch is someone who goes to church. They know how to speak churchy lingo. They might say that they're a Christian. They know a little bit about the Bible, but they don't really believe in Jesus. They don't truly believe in him as Lord and Savior. And because they don't really believe in Jesus and have a relationship with Jesus, there's no fruit of knowing Jesus. They never had fruit. It's not that the production slowed down or that they've had a bad week. It's that they've never believed in the first place. We're in John chapter 15. The most obvious example of someone to whom Jesus is referring here is Judas, who had been one of the twelve, but who had departed at the end of John chapter 13. It's not that Judas was a believer in Jesus who walked away from him. It's that Judas never believed in Jesus in the first place. 
Jesus says, I am the true vine. Not only is Jesus the vine, but he's the true vine. But what does that mean? Like all of the I am statements, the metaphor is steeped in Old Testament thought. In the Old Testament, you see this vine metaphor, especially in the prophetic books. And with the vine metaphor, Israel is a grapevine which has not yielded good fruit. As a result of Israel's failure to produce fruit, there are consequences for the nation brought forth by God, the vine dresser. So as we begin, let us look at a couple of uh, passages. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 21, talks of how the vine has grown wild. Yet I planted you a choice vine, holy of pure seed. How then have you turned degenerate and become a wild vine? We have Psalm 80, where it depicts God as the vine dresser and Israel as the vine who was brought out of Egypt, an obvious reference to the Exodus. And as the vine dresser, God has cared for and tended to the vine, yet the vine has not yielded the fruit that it should. I know the text is going to be so small, I'll read it. Beginning in verse 8 of Psalm 80. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the river. Why then have you broken down its walls so that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit? The boar from the forest ravages it, and all that move in the field feed on it. Turn again, O God of hosts, look down from heaven and see. Have regard for this vine. And one final example, perhaps the most prevalent example in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 5. And as a brief reminder, a couple Christmases ago, we spent four weeks in Isaiah chapters 7, 8, and 9. Common Christmas time passages which talk about the virgin birth to Emmanuel and have God's future government brought forth by a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. But those passages also talk about divine judgment upon Jerusalem and the southern kingdom of Judah for their rebellion against God. Just before all of that, in Isaiah chapter 5, we're given a vision of the destruction of the Lord's vineyard. In that passage, we see again Israel depicted as the grapevine, which the vine dresser, referring to the Lord, has planted in fertile soil. And it's tended to the vineyard. And the point is that God has made every provision for this vine. Yet the grapes it's produced are sour. And the vine has become overgrown and wild. And so the prophet Isaiah gives a warning of judgment against this vine, Israel. Isaiah 5, beginning in verse 5. For whatever reason, not on the slide. And now I will tell you, what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled upon. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed, and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. Protection is removed. 
taken away the wall. Provision is withheld, withholding the rain. The vine will be allowed to continue to grow and to overgrow and be subject to the natural elements. It's a metaphor for the judgment that God has for Israel. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus uses vineyard and vine metaphorical language and parables. And because of the Old Testament background, the vine had become an important symbol in Israel. When the Israelites revolted against the Romans a generation after the time of Jesus, their coinage had the image of a vine on it. And against this backdrop, on the night before he went to the cross, that Jesus said to his disciples, I am the true vine. Not simply, I am the vine, but the true vine that Israel was not. That Jesus is the true vine who brings forth the true harvest, which Israel did not bring. Here's something else to consider. We're at the beginning of John chapter 15. If we look and flip the page briefly back to John chapter 14, that chapter ends, verses 30 and 31. Jesus is speaking and says, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. And then he says, rise, let us go from here. They're in the upper room at the Last Supper, and at the end of John chapter 14, Jesus calls on the disciples to leave with him. But where are they going? Jesus is arrested in John chapter 18. Given the geographical markers in the Gospels, we know that Jesus and the disciples are moving from west to east and that he's arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane near the temple. So in John chapters 15 through 17, Jesus and the disciples are making their way from the Last Supper to the Garden of Gethsemane where he's arrested. And so the garden is basically next to the temple. So they're walking by the temple as Jesus is talking. The entrance of the temple had these large decorative vines made of gold that had been cast on the entrance of the temple. And it's in the shadow of the temple in the hours before his death, that Jesus says to his disciples, I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Truly believing in the gospel, truly believing in Jesus brings life. It brings transformation, a byproduct of believing in the gospel is fruit. And again, fruit is the good works and virtue and love for God that exists in a believer. And to believe in Jesus is to be a part of the true vine. And to truly believe in him, to truly get it, to truly be living for Christ is to have a life that bears fruit. There is only one vine, the true vine, Christ. There aren't all sorts of vines. There is one vine, and we are growing on it, or we are not. For the branches which bear fruit, there is life, because the vine dresser, referring to God the Father, prunes and cultivates the branches. And that brings us to our second point, being pruned by the vine dresser. Picking back up in verse 2 to the end of verse 2, 
Jesus says, every branch that does not, I'm sorry, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. God is the vine dresser who prunes the grapevine. Properly pruning grapes, grapevines, is essential to maximizing their harvest. I learned more about grapes this week than you could ever possibly care to know. Without, without pruning the grapevine, it quickly becomes overgrown. The vines become entangled. So pruning requires cutting off small branches and old branches so that you can make room to support the New Year's vines. You want the vine to be cut to a certain length. If it's too long, it starts to become susceptible to wind breaking the vine. Pruning is primarily done at this time, twice a year. You would prune in the springtime and then again in the fall just before you harvested the grapes because the vines are kind of continuously growing, especially in a climate like Israel. And all of that is important to understanding the metaphor of what this passage is teaching. Because for the branch that bears good fruit on the vine, God is the master vine dresser who prunes in order to maximize the harvest of the vine. That's what a good vine dresser does. They have to cut away at the vine for the good of the vine. Now imagine that you're a branch on the vine. You might have all sorts of branches and shoots on you that look good and are about to blossom. And then the vine dresser just starts cutting. That would seem cruel. But a good vine dresser knows what's necessary to get the most fruit out of the vine. He knows what's necessary to best utilize the resources and nutrients within the vine. I, began, I think of where I began this morning in talking about my dog. Sometimes she doesn't want things or understand things that are meant for her ultimate good. And again, we too can be short-sighted. We too can miss the big picture. God brings about things in our lives, sometimes for our own growth, that can be painful, that can seem harsh, that can seem unfair. Yet all of it is meant for our ultimate good. God prunes us. It can be different ways for different people in different seasons of life, but God must use the knife to prune the vine. Calls to mind passages like Hebrews chapter 12, where God is depicted as a loving father who instills discipline in his children. Hebrews 12, 6, the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. That the discipline itself shows that you're a child of your father in heaven. Sometimes that's how God prunes us, by discipline. Sometimes it's through the challenges that we face. James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4. James says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect. They may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. James says that we are to count it all joy when we meet trials of various kinds because God uses those trials to work greater results in us. There's pruning 
that we as branches of the true vine have to go through. Sometimes it can be through illnesses or life circumstances. Sometimes God takes things away from us for greater purposes. Sometimes it can be through setbacks or failures. But God works through those challenges and situations. And in the process, he produces results. No two branches are pruned exactly the same way. But to be a Christian, to be part of the vine, and to produce fruit, God prunes us. Again, he does it differently for different people. But God is a perfecting God. God is faithful to work in us. A few weeks ago when we had vacation Bible school, the, the main verse, the key verse for VBS was Philippians 1.6. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It's not always through really difficult afflictions and challenges that God works in us. Again, he works in us in all sorts of ways. Sometimes he works in us through relationships, people in our family, people in the church, people from work. He can use people to prune us and be transformational in our lives. Carrie is getting me a pruning knife in October, Lord willing. He can prune us through his word. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed, out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That God can use this word in mighty ways in our lives. And let us remember that when we read our Bibles, that the word should challenge us. We are sinful and imperfect. God's word is true and points us to holiness. And it can be challenging to be confronted with what the Bible teaches. You can have weeks or months of reading the Bible where nothing really stands out to you and then come across a passage that feels like it was written with you in mind. Because God uses his word to cut us. He uses it to prune us. Hebrews 4.12 The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God prunes us with his word. And again, God prunes us to produce fruit. God prunes us to teach us. God prunes us to humble us, to make us more joyful, to make us more appreciative, to make us more loving, to make us more trusting and reliant upon him, to make us more holy and living for him, and in so many other ways. How is God pruning you? In what area of your life are you not living up? Where you know that you're not honoring God? Is there an area that you're struggling with with sin? Is there an idol that you're holding on to? Is there a person with whom you're withholding forgiveness from? And again, the answer to that question is going to be different for every individual person. But what change is there in your life that God is trying to work on you in? Because you're not a finished product. Third point, producing fruit through the vine. Verses 3 through 5. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. 
I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. In verse 3, the focus shifts. Jesus says to the disciples, Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. That's really meant to be an encouragement. That the word that Jesus has spoken refers to the totality of his teaching. That they have heard the words of Christ and believed, and it is because of that that the disciples are made clean. It is because of the words of the gospel and knowing that, that all of us are made clean. The disciples heard the teachings of Jesus from his own mouth. Teachings like, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Or when Jesus says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus says, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. And so many more things that they heard from Jesus himself, because they heard his words and believed in his words. It was through that that they were made clean. Through knowing and believing the gospel, we are made clean. The dead are made alive. The dark become light. We have life in Christ. If you have faith in Jesus and believe in him as your Lord and Savior, there are still struggles that we face, but we can also look to him with hope and with expectation that there will be fruit in the midst of that, that he is at work, that God is pruning, that he who began a good work in us will bring it to completion. We aren't yet what God will have us be, Jesus is the vine. We are the branches through which he wants to bring forth greater fruit. And for that, we should praise the Lord. In our passage, Jesus says, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. There are some biblical passages where the metaphor is so simple that on one hand, there's really not even a whole lot else that needs to be said. That it's almost self-explanatory in its simplicity. Psalm 23 that we heard earlier, I think, is one of those passages too. Jesus calls us to abide in him. And as we abide in Jesus, he abides in us. He is working in us. He has life in us. There is no good fruit that we are producing apart from Christ. A branch cannot produce grapes if it's not attached to the vine. Jesus says, neither can you unless you abide in me. And as we've seen so many other places in this gospel, it's an absolute statement. Are there many ways to honor God? Are there many ways to produce the fruits that God desires from his people? Fruits of righteousness and holiness? 
the fruit of growing in sanctification and the knowledge of God, the fruit of virtue and living for the glory of God? Are there many ways to do that, or is Jesus the one way to do that? Is Jesus the one vine through which we do that? Is he the true vine? Or is the Bible just some nice and quaint teachings that aren't really transformational to life? Jesus says in verse 5, I am the vine. Again, returning to that I am motif. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Again, Jesus reminds us that he is the vine. We produce fruit on the vine and only on the vine. So far we've talked about Jesus being the true vine and what it means to be a branch on the vine. We've talked about the pruning that God does. And this last point points us to the fruit that Jesus bears. When we talk about pruning, it's a painful process. But it's also ultimately a positive passage because the point is about the great fruit that Jesus produces. Jesus is not calling us to misery and drudgery. He wants us to live joyful lives with him and through him and for him. In John 10.10, Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. He wants us to have abundant life in him. He wants us to experience all the fullness of life on the true vine. The fruit is good. Who doesn't love grapes? Grapes are delicious. Has anybody tried those cotton candy grapes? Amazing. He's the grapevine. Jesus is not the cabbage patch. He's not the true broccoli plant. Those are terrible. He's the grapevine. Grapes are good. And he wants to produce goodness in you. Jesus calls us to abide in him. We are to live for him, to walk with him, to follow him, to learn from him. Because Jesus loves us and never does anything that is not for our ultimate good and for our ultimate best interest. He wants us to bear fruit in him, on the vine, and that is a grace that he gives to us because he is good and because he loves us. Amen. We're going to move into communion. I've talked about the powerful symbol that the grapevine was in ancient Israel and in the Old Testament. Obviously, we can eat grapes, but the primary purpose for grapes in this time and culture was wine production. It was an important industry. Archaeologists have actually found hundreds of ancient wine presses around Israel. It was important culturally, it was important symbolically, and it's important biblically. And in this passage, Jesus has said that the symbol is ultimately about him. That the vine ultimately points to him because he is the true vine. In John's gospel, Jesus begins his ministry by turning water into wine. He celebrates the Last Supper by lifting up the cup of wine and saying, This is my blood. And as Jesus walked with his disciples to the place of his death in the shadow of the temple, Jesus says, I am the true vine. Jesus is the true vine who gives us the true wine. And if our deacons want to come forward as we get ready to do communion, I will pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for 
your goodness and the opportunity to partake in communion. And that in that, we can remember the life that Jesus invites us into, the life that he gave so that we could live, and the life that we can have through him, the true vine. In Jesus' name, amen.